0: Ephesians chapter 6 and we're glad to to be able to open the word of God this morning I've had it in my heart over the last couple of days that we should revisit our theme for this year in a very direct way so that we are not forgetting the things that we have learned and uh, and I truly hope that you have learned some spiritual truth this year which has strengthened your inner man and uh, we're going to read this passage together starting in verse number 10 Ephesians 6, verse number 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, Let me ask a question if i stop reading right there have i done justice to the words of paul in this passage you know it has of course the colon there at the end of verse 17 which means the sentence continues but here's what i was thinking about i was thinking of how often people will think about the armor of god and get down to the end of verse 17 i imagine you may have a, Some of you may have a placard or something on your wall in the house that talks about the armor of God and it lists all these things. And many times, I think, uh, we stop at verse number 17 and we have, in fact, not done justice to what Paul is teaching uh, because uh, verse 17, it sort of kind of becomes the end in our thinking and we think, well, we're, we're dressed up now. We've got on the full armor. We're ready for battle. We're strong in the Lord. But are we strong in the Lord if we stop at verse 17? As I came back to our theme text in in, in verse number 10 and was thinking about that, the Lord was guiding my heart to the most critical part of this entire passage. And that is the very next verse, verse 18, where Paul writes, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto, Uh, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That word all is used quite a bit in that one verse, isn't it? And so here's the word that I have for you today, that there is nothing more essential or critical to our being strong in the Lord than our life of prayer. The armor cannot even be put on without prayer. And the weapons of our warfare which are not carnal, but mighty through God. These things, uh, that, that means that unless we are engaged with God, we're not able even to use those weapons in an effective way. We don't know how to use the sword of the Spirit or the shield of faith. And I will tell you that if we don't do this, these things prayerfully, we can actually take the things God has given us to battle the enemy and we can turn them against one another. And so prayer is the most essential part of this. Our theme for 2022 which has been in in very effectual ways preparing us for the coming year the theme has been be strong in the lord and we've emphasized two areas in that first of all we've talked about soul care and that means taking care of the inner man the heart and the mind and doing that to the good of the whole man so i begin on the inside i learn how to take care of my heart i learn how to fashion and, and, and fix my heart upon God, and that then, in effect, will take care of the whole person. That's what we mean by that. Secondly, we've talked about spiritual warfare. I was making this observation to Brother Corey the other day, I think, that while we haven't really maybe technically done a lot of specific teaching on spiritual warfare, I don't know that I've ever been through a year of pastoring in the church that i have experienced more spiritual warfare or maybe in some different ways than i have experienced it before and so i think that shouldn't be lost on us that that we're learning through the experiences of of going there in fact it's hard to read verse 16 and think about the shield of faith quenching all the fiery darts of the wicked and not think about how many ways That the enemy assaults us and shoots those fiery darts at us And, and it comes in our thoughts and it comes in our feelings and it'll come through the way we interpret things that happen in our life and I mean he just always is trying to come and take us out take us down and so these are very important things but at the heart of both of these matters soul care spiritual warfare is this praying always with all prayer we can do neither one of those things very well Without prayer. And so I want to ask you to ask yourself with honesty this morning Am I a prayerful person? Am I a prayerful person? But I want to hasten to say right here that this is not a message designed to pressure or shame anyone about their praying or their lack of prayer. That's not the point this morning. Rather, it is a message to encourage and exhort you to see the necessity of and the way to a prayerful life and to help us to come to understand how God meets us in our devotion and our desire to be a praying people. If we want to be prayerful people, God will help us to be prayerful people. And I will come back to that point again and that I think that's the most fundamental thing we have to consider. Do we desire to be prayerful people? Now I want to introduce what I have to say about prayer specifically with a brief word about discipleship as a whole. And I I want you to see what I'm saying this morning. I hope to be able to help you see more clearly the role of prayer in bringing all of our life in Christ together both as individuals where I stand alone in my place of private prayer and then uh, corporately as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, that this is what should define us. I don't have it in front of me, but I remember reading it this week that Martin Luther uh, said that just as a cobbler's business is making shoes, and he mentioned another profession, but he said a Christian's business is prayer. In other words, that's what ought to occupy our day in our life. That ought to be the vocation of our life. Have you ever thought about prayer as being the vocation of your life? And you know, if you think about that, there is no start time, stop time. There's no, there's no retirement from that. That's something you can effectively do at 75. Matter of fact, to be honest with you, if you've been growing in the Lord, you'll be more effective praying at 75 than I am at 45. It's something we continue to grow in and we can do throughout our lives. So there are, I believe, three aspects of discipleship. In other words, what I mean by this, as I have been thinking on this and pondering on this over the last year or so, I've come to the conclusion that I think, and this would just be the way I would do it, the way I would teach it or say it, that there are really three main components to our discipleship or our spiritual formation in Christ. And they are these three things. First of all, we have identity. And that is an individual thing. Every child of God has in discipleship a need to discover who they are in Jesus Christ. Your identity is very important. That comes from your personal walk with God. And that's number one. That's the first place. And to get ahead of myself just a little bit, I want to say that many, many of the problems we have in church today is because that first thing has been lost and overlooked. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Because the second thing, you've got identity. That's your personal walk with God, discovering who you are in Christ. But the second thing is community. Community is part of our discipleship. There is no being a true disciple of Jesus and being isolated. You can't do that. There is no, you know, we've all heard the thing about, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, actually, yes, you do. You can't be obedient to Jesus and not be a part of a church. And community is an essential part of discipleship. Community is the household of God, is the saints in communion with one another. That is is vitally important in our lives. And and what I was saying earlier, and I'll, I'll say it again, is that Identity has to come first, but many times the community has become the identity Many times we have found our identity by being a part of the community first Having never got our true identity in Jesus to begin with now. I don't want to be confusing I don't mean uh, that a person's not saved or hasn't been born again But what I mean is they've come to Christ They've been born again and they're they're a Christian, but they haven't learned from Jesus who they are in him And they've just kind of acclimated and sort of kind of amalgamated into the church culture. But they're still lacking that most essential thing of identity. Then there's the third thing, and that's ministry. Ministry. Our service on behalf of God to one another and to the world. That's what ministry is. So we have identity and community and ministry. And again, interwoven between all three of these things and holding them together are the spiritual disciplines of a holy life at which the core is prayer. It is fundamentally, without controversy, the single most important thing we must learn and do. And I think that we would all agree, from our own experiences and conversations with other believers, that it is probably the least thing, at least we knowingly engage in. Now, I've said this before, and I hope that you leave encouraged this morning. I believe you are engaged in prayer more than you realize. It's just that we have to come to an understanding about what prayer is. But God wants us to be a prayerful people. All three of these matters are important. And we have to have them, identity, community, and ministry, if we are to have a whole life in God. But all three of them matter, but also the order of them matters, as I've already spoken to. My identity in Christ is what strengthens the community of faith when we come together. And the community of faith is the strength of ministry to the world. And that is that there are no lone wolves when it comes to ministry. There is no, and I know people say this, and I'm not throwing stones at people who use this terminology. I know some great men that I love to listen to that use this terminology, but I started to say there is no Mike Barnett Ministries, okay? That's not even possible because if I am doing something that's all mine that I'm in control of and I'm running it and I'm, I'm where the buck stops and starts, well, then I am not in line with God's Word because it is from His church that he does ministry. From the very beginning, Jesus sent them forth two by two. And those two by two came out of the larger group and they each came back and reported to one another, community is what feeds and fuels and strengthens the ministry. And so we do those things together. Now this is a pattern that Jesus followed and modeled for us. And I won't, you know, have time to read it all through. You can, you can look there if you want to, but I just want to make reference to Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. And I just want to tell you what happens there. Jesus rises up early in the morning before day, and he goes off to have prayer in a solitary place. He spends time alone with his Father. What is that? That is Jesus finding his identity in the Father that day. He is alone with the Father and then it is there that Peter and the other disciples come and say, Lord, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus joins in the community of the disciples. And they together then come back. And in verse 38, 39, they begin to go into the city and they begin to preach and to cast out demons. They begin to do ministry. And that's the pattern you find throughout the scriptures that we're taught. You and I must have that place that we meet with God alone, where we receive our identity in Christ. It is strengthened. It is verified. It is solid and then I come back into the community where a bunch of people who have found their life in Christ are coming together to honor and worship Him and serve Him together and we go forth and do ministry in the name of the Lord. That's the pattern. So let me, let me say just a few things about how identity, community, and ministry fit together. Identity, I said, builds community. And when you or I lack identity in Christ ourselves, we will by default when we lack identity in Christ ourselves as individuals, we will by default begin to conform to the community without the image of Christ stamped uniquely and strongly in our hearts. I choose that word uniquely very purposefully because of what I'm about to say. We have little to bring to the community in terms of life the life of jesus and so what happens is we will we will simply seek ways to fall in with the identity of the community first in other words the church becomes the defining character of my life rather than christ himself and that's a problem now i want to show you why that's a problem when community is first we will seek to conform the individuals to the traditions and customs, and dare we even say laws, of the church. And by default, we deny the individual the freedom to find their unique identity in Christ. And so Christian liberty is stifled, if not smothered out completely. Now what I'm describing to you, I think, is a real entrenched problem in the modern church where people have not learned to walk with God and know Jesus in a very practical and personal way, but it has become rather easy to fall in line with whatever the local identity and denomination is and just fit that pattern. And the problem with that is it has nothing to do with your salvation. Okay, If you're, in, if you're saved, you're in Christ, you're saved. But what it does is it, 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 it denies you The ability to live in the promises that Jesus made like when he said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free And, and what we've done is we've interpreted verses like that strictly on the basis of the forgiveness of sins and we've said well I'm free I've been forgiven of my sins yes but yet we're still bound we're still bound by our misunderstandings we're still bound by hard hearts we're still bound by disappointments and hurts and, and we have no freedom to, to walk in this life and feel like that we have the joy of the Lord. And it seems foreign to us. So we have to be careful about that. When it's no longer safe for me to pursue liberty in Christ, when I am in a church culture that demands conformity to itself and the communities agreed-on image of who jesus is now you've had this experience someone comes to you and they say i tell you the, the lord just spoke to me in, in a in this way and you think whoa wait a minute no that's not what we believe there's a warning sign when your thought process and mind goes to whoa that's not what we believe here's something that i've been growing in over the last several years I've gotten to the place where I will hear somebody who I trust and respect say something that it's like I just don't know about I just don't know if I get that but I've come to the place where I've learned to think this way maybe I'm just not there yet I mean I'm learning from this person because they're further down the road than I am and Maybe what they're saying right now, I just don't get it yet, but I, I know I'm not going to dismiss the possibilities of what God is doing in their life. Now, I, I, I do get a little iffy. We had somebody not long ago tell me a Athena about a woman that said that, uh, or a man that said that he had an 8-foot um, Jesus that appeared at the foot of his bed one morning, or no, maybe it was a 10-foot Jesus, and the guy said, he, 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 was, he was a coworker, and he said, well, the problem with that, buddy, is your ceiling's only eight foot tall. I just, I don't think that's right, you know. And, and I don't want to get drawn into those kind of silly debates, right. But there are things that are just kind of out there, you know. But things that, just because I don't know it or haven't experienced it yet, I need to understand that, that God is working uniquely with His people. And I don't want to be part of a culture that stifles that or denies the individual the chance to experience God, which is how we bring it back to prayer. The obvious result in that type of an environment is a community of unhappy conformists peer-pressuring one another into a performance that we call ministry. But in reality, it's the product of a culture of frustrated Christians who can hardly wait to be done with whatever the current mission is or whatever the week of meeting is so that they can get back to the things that give them a sense of identity and pleasure, though they largely be things of the world. It might be to get back to the job, get back to the game, get back to the pizza, whatever it is, but it's like, just get me out of here. Look, I got it. We've done it. Let's go. And, that's, and we call that ministry, and there's no life in it. Why? There's no life in it because there was no identity in Jesus, in the individual persons, because there was no prayer. And when there is no prayer in my prayer closet, there'll be no prayer in the community, and there'll be no prayer in our ministry. And so certainly there are varying degrees of this throughout the churches and varying degrees among the disciples in the various churches. But the point of saying all of this is... True discipleship must begin and end with prayer. It must. Prayer is the way I spend time with and get to know God better. Prayer is the way in which God can help me to know myself better. I said this Monday night, last Monday night in the prayer meeting here. The person whose opinion about you matters the most is not your brother, it's not your spouse, it's not even your opinion of yourself, it is God's opinion of you that matters the most. And if we're going to be strong in the Lord, we need to live in such a way that keeps us close enough to God that we are hearing Him say to us, You are mine, I love you because I love you. And nothing you can do can make me love you less nor make me love you more i simply love you because i am love, and i have set my affections on you see we need to spend time with the one who can speak that to our hearts and honestly collectively let's confess this morning that if we were to all do that more we would hurt each other less we wouldn't get it right all the time because we're still in the battle with the flesh but we would do it, we would hurt each other less. Prayer is the way I get to know God better. God helps me know myself better. It is from my life of prayer that I can come to this community, whether it's for worship or fellowship or service, and I can bring my gifts, and I can bring my strength in God, and I can be an effective co-laborer in Christ. When each individual member comes from prayer into community, the goal of the community becomes prayer. I want to say that again. When each individual member comes from prayer into community, the goal of the community becomes prayer. And the ministry or the result will be a ministry of serving which is ordered and empowered and consecrated to God by our communal life of prayer. I've heard it all my life now, what I'm about to say. You have too. The main thing on Sunday morning, the main thing at church is the preaching of God's Word. But I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. There's a whole lot of preaching that goes on that doesn't amount to a hill or anything. Preaching is only effectual as it produces prayer in the heart of the church. Prayer is the most important thing that happens at the house of God when the saints come together. And good preaching will facilitate that and help that Would it not be a wonderful thing to come to a place where prayer was not done as a sort of obligatory thing? Where we kind of feel and think and somebody eventually says, well, we ought to pray. And even if we don't say it that way, sometimes we feel that way. It's like, oh, I guess we should pray. Before we do this, maybe we ought to, somebody lead us in prayer. You know, we've all experienced that. And even if we get together sometimes in our family gatherings, you know, We're supposed to be a family of Christian people. I mean, it's always amazed me down through the years. You go to the the, the gatherings, it's almost holiday season. You go to Christmas gatherings, and your family is all a bunch of professing Christians, and it's almost like the most awkward thing that happens in that whole meeting is when somebody says, let's let's have the prayer, you know? And instead instead of people lining up to say, oh, let me, let me lead us in prayer, everybody's like, he he does it every year he'll do it you know why is that because we haven't learned how to be prayerful people we haven't learned how to enter into the prayers that already exist in our heart do you know the Bible teaches us that we are living prayer unto God that is a beautiful thing to understand that our lives when Paul says that we're to be a living sacrifice the word that is used there is where we get our word for holocaust. A burning, a living, burning sacrifice for God in which every action and every thought and every word and every feeling, every expression of our body and our mind and our soul becomes prayer. And that's why I say to you, you pray more than you might think you do. But when we learn to engage that and enter into that and identify the prayer that's happening, it releases us to more prayer. We begin to understand, oh yes, God is a bigger part of my life than I thought He was, and I want Him to be an even bigger part of my life. And so I'm going to begin to think about God more, and I'm going to begin to speak to God more, and I'm going to begin to talk to others about God more so that I can be a person of continual prayer. And anybody in this room that is a child of God can do that. Anybody it isn't something for special select individuals it's for every single one of us who are called by God The only way that this will ever be true is that we must become prayerful people and so I ask you again are you a prayerful person Are you a prayerful person Now let's ask and answer that critical question officially and kind of in a some stated ways what is prayer and here's the way I want to answer that this morning. This is the way that I have in my heart to answer the question, what is prayer this morning? I, I wanted to say it like this. Prayer is any time I am giving my full attention to God. Prayer is any time that I'm giving my full attention to God. Now, now, not to lose what I've already stated, can there be prayer happening when my full attention is not given to God? Yes. And that is something that we develop in our hearts so that we can become people who pray unceasingly. But for now, it's enough to understand that prayer is any time I'm giving my full attention to God. So, for example, prayer is happening when I go to my morning place of prayer and I give God my full attention and devotion. Prayer is happening when I'm driving and listening to songs of worship and my heart is tuned to God and turned to God in gratitude and praise. Prayer is happening when I'm simply thinking about God, meditating on who He is and who I am in Christ. Prayer is happening when I read the Bible and I think about what God is saying to me. Prayer is happening during the preaching or the teaching of God's Word as I listen attentively to discern the voice of the Spirit in my heart so that I can obey Him. Prayer is happening when I remember a brother or sister in need and I speak their name and their need to God as I work or drive or eat my lunch, it doesn't matter. And to the point of prayer during our daily activities... I've often referred you to Brother Lawrence and the practice of the presence of God. But I've been reading the little book on the wisdom of Mother Teresa that I picked up a few weeks ago. And in that book, she says of prayer, prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at His disposition and listening to His voice in the depths of the heart. You can pray while you work. It requires only a small raising of the mind to Him. I love you, God. I trust you, God. I believe in you. I need you now. Small things like that, they are wonderful prayers. God is not interested in keeping you at an arm's length. God hasn't shut up the throne room and said, Out to lunch. There's never a time when God is not desiring To have you think about Him or speak to Him or speak about Him. You say, boy, God's really stuck on Himself, isn't He? He ought to be. He's the biggest, greatest thing there is. And He made us so that we would lift our voices and glorify Him and worship Him and adore Him. And He's worthy of all that we can give Him. While I'm sharing... Mother Teresa's words on prayer to the point of our individual prayer bringing something to the community and thus to the ministry. She says this, be faithful to the time spent in prayer and make sure that at least half of your prayer is spent in silence. Now why would she say that? Well, because hearing what God has to say to me is more important than me getting to say what I want to say to God. She says this will bring you closer to Jesus If you deepen your prayer life, you will grow in holiness and obtain many graces for the souls entrusted to your care. Deepen your love for one another by praying for each other and by sharing thoughts and graces you have received in prayer and reading. This is what happens when people who are walking with God and living in prayer, they come together in fellowship, and what are they talking about? You can always tell that crowd. That crowd will be talking about what they've heard, what they've read, what they've sensed of what God is doing in their life or in the church or what he's doing in the world. And that will be the conversation of those people. They can't help themselves. And the more you get taken up and filled up in this, the more that becomes your identity and who you are. And the more our community is filled with people like that, the more it becomes the identity of our community And then our ministry becomes that very thing of bringing the presence and the life of Jesus into the world. Now, here is the truth. If preachers had spent less time learning how to outline and polish sermons and more time learning how to be with Jesus, we would have a power-packed church in the 21st century rather than a celebrity culture. I'm talking about the preachers right now of which I am one. So I would say to that, Sunday school teachers, Sunday school teachers, pray and then come and share. Singers, pray and then come and share in song. To the servers, to the staff of the church, to the ushers, to the door greeters, to the watchmen, to every one of us who have a role, pray and then come and share Christ in that role and in putting on the armor of God the least thought of portion is the most critical the praying part yet Paul says praying always with all prayer if we were to ask the question what does that mean praying always with all prayer I think that I would describe that as learning and building an active relationship with God that's what we're after an active relationship with God now Before we close this morning, being as critical as this is, why do you think, rhetorical, I guess, question, but why do you think many believers admit that they do not pray as much as they should if we also agree, and we do, that prayer is so critical? And I don't have time to address these things. I just want to tell you, I wrote down a list of reasons of why I think there is such a lack of prayer. And I think it helps to just name it. To identify it and see that it's not just you. That there are other people who think and feel the same way and struggle in the same way. For example, a lack of understanding of what prayer truly is might be the number one reason we don't pray as we should. And that one's one we've addressed this morning. But also I would say a lack of discipline to make the time to build the practice of prayer. Because this is not something that's just sort of got its own unique way of happening god set things in order there's a system to the world there's a, always a way things work in life and you plant an acorn and over time you get an oak tree and then you get more acorns and and if you're going to exercise you know you got to start where you are and you build that up and you get better and stronger and faster whatever same thing in in, in spiritual disciplines we must discipline ourselves to begin and then we have to stay with that and we will begin to build that practice of prayer. But sometimes it's just a lack of discipline. And some of you, if I took a hand raised uh, and you wanted to be uh, honest, you'd say, Preacher, that's, that's about where I'm at right now. That's my big one. And I would think you would see a whole lot of other hands in the room saying, Yep, that's a, that's a struggle. Well, we're just naming it so that we know that it is a real struggle. And you're not alone in that struggle. I, I wrote down, thirdly, I think it's a lack of spiritual mindedness. And and by that, I want to be clear. I don't mean that we're not interested in spiritual things or we don't care about spiritual things, but I think it more represents that we're very deeply distracted by and entrenched in the world, and that hinders us from a spiritual mind. And then the fourth thing I wrote down is, I think, just a lack of confidence. Just a lack of confidence, and we can call that doubt. We doubt that our prayers will be effective or that there will be answers to our prayers, and I think that's a a big part of it. So again, I I can't address all those things this morning, but just to say that they are real challenges in our life of prayer. So, I want to bring all this together. Before we close with prayer, I want to say to you these three questions that I want you to, to leave with today and think about, As you go forward and it'll help to write them down I mean if you want to think about them I think for most people it'll help to write them down but you you decide what will work best for you but the first thing I would ask you to ask yourself is do I want to be a prayerful person do you want to be the kind of person who is living in a growing consciousness of God and you have to really consider what that means by thinking of the alternative as being someone with less and less awareness and attentiveness to God. And any reasonable believer would have to say, well, yeah, I really do want to be a prayerful person. And I think all believers do. But that's the first place we've got to start, just the recognition that that is a desire of my heart. And so we may be quick to say, yes, I want that. And that should be our answer, but we also need to consider what opposes that. To be a truly prayerful person is going to cost us some things in terms of time and attention and affection toward other things and other people. So the second question is this, will I commit to doing the necessary things to become a prayerful person? And that's a question to think about, take with you and think about today. So... First of all, do I want to be a prayerful person? But secondly, will I commit to doing the necessary things to become a prayerful person? And what are those things? Well, I'm going to have to eliminate distractions and bad habits that are taking me away from God. I'm going to have to maybe turn in earlier so I can get up earlier so that I can make time to be with God first thing and for more than just a few minutes. I may have to let go of some things that keep me from prayerfulness right now. And if I were to offer you a list of things you might need to let go of, perhaps you would squirm a little over the, me mentioning your thing. Just like I might squirm a little if you mentioned my thing, right? But rather than try to come up with the whole list, what we should just do is make this a matter of our praying. And say, Lord, where am I losing time and attention to the world that I could be giving to you? And just ask the Lord that. Make that a part of this determination to be a prayerful person and just say, Lord, where am I losing time and attention to the world that I could be giving to you? And so that leads me to the third and and final thing. The question I would leave you with is to ask yourself, would I like to be the sort of Christian that will bring prayerfulness into the community in a powerful and effectual way? Would I like to be the sort of Christian that will bring prayerfulness into the community in a powerful and effectual way? In other words, the the kind of Christian that when I come to church, I come as living prayer. I come with my heart and my mind set on God, focused on Him, thinking about Him, talking about Him, leaving the world out of it completely because I understand that that's my first ministry to one another is to help one another to be drawn closer to God. Prayer builds the community, and the community, when made up of prayerful people, will build the prayer. Prayer is the foundation of the community, and we, when we all together are doing the things that bring our full attention to God into a collective focus on God, we have, as a church, become prayer. So, we have these three questions to take with us. Do I want to be a prayerful person? Will I commit to doing the necessary things to become a prayerful person? Would I like to be a Christian that will bring prayerfulness into the community in a powerful and effectual way?